All right, all right, everybody. We're here in the Gospel of Mark today, and today we're talking about Mark the seventh chapter as we continue to follow the journeys and the exploits of Jesus. Are you ready to talk about the seventh chapter of Mark? Yes, sir. All right, let's just pick right up and get right going in verse 1. The text says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, I want to just point out from verse 1 how um, it is of interest to me that the Pharisees and the scribes now, they come hunting for Jesus. They have left Jerusalem. Word has apparently got back to them that this fellow is continuing to teach and to uh, perform miracles and do all the stuff that he's doing. And they got to see it for themselves now. And so they come hunting for him. Here comes the truth squad, and they've got uh, they've I mean they've got a grievance. And so truth squad with air quotes. Yeah, I'm putting the quotes around it because they believe they are the the, the harbingers and the guardians of the truth. Um, and that's gonna that's gonna be what causes the problem and the conflict here because verse two says that what they saw was that some of Jesus' disciples were eating with hands that were defiled. That is unwashed. Now, I'm just going to say it right here that this had nothing to do with hygiene. That is not what this is about. The fact that the disciples and whoever else was not washing their hands, it didn't have anything to do with hygiene. This has everything to do with man-made tradition. Uh, Hand washing was commanded and it was part of the Levitical priesthood system. If you were a priest serving under the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through 21, gave some very specific commands and regulations about how you were to wash your hands and how were you to do that uh, as you began to you know, go into the work of the tabernacle and the temple service. Um, however, about 200 years before Jesus burst onto the scene, there were various sects among the Jews who started to implement that as being just a, a ceremonial practice and tradition that, well, that everybody should follow. And so they started doing it, whether they was a priest or not. Hey, well, well, let's all just start washing our hands and doing all this. It, it, it purifies us and whatever all the other reasoning uh, about that was. And so by the time we get here to the New Testament, to Mark chapter 7, the scribes and the Pharisees and the other religious leaders of the time, they are now essentially binding this tradition uh, on everyone. Notice again verse uh, verse 2, or excuse me, uh, verse 1. Well, actually, let's just read verse 3. Yeah, that's the verse I'm looking for here. That's right. Because uh, this is the, the parenthetical thought that Mark provides, that the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. What I just wanted to point out there was that this wasn't just a Pharisee thing. It says all the Jews did this. Even if you were just random Joe Jew, you you did this, or maybe Joseph, or a more Jewish sounding name, Joe um, Jew. Joe Jew. We'll just go with that. Um, but you washed your hands. That that's just what you did, and and it was a regular fixture and part of your, you know, life and service and devotion to God. Verse four: When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And so Mark gives these parenthetical thoughts in verses 3 and 4, uh, probably for the benefit of his Gentile Roman readers who would not be really all that familiar with these Jewish customs, and explains that uh, this was just 
This was the way it was done uh, during that day and time. And so verse 5, when the Pharisees and scribes see that the disciples of Jesus aren't doing that, they asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? And there in verse 5 is is the issue. Yep. There is the problem. Traditions of elders, not not the Lord, not God. Yeah. We have here the elevation of human man-made ideas and traditions, um, putting them either on par or quite possibly even worse, elevating them above God's word and God's command. This is what my granddad did. Yeah. And that's what his dad did. And his dad. And you hear that time and time again. Yeah, and it's it, it, it's kind of worth us noting, and in, in we talked some uh, in, in previous chapters about some of the lengths to which the Pharisees and these religious groups would go uh, with other commandments of God. You know, did God command there to be hand-washing to some degree for certain people? Yes, he did. But what's happened is, is we've got a group of folks who have taken that, and they've picked it apart, and they've extrapolated it, and they've taken it to just absurd lengths. And we noticed that before in previous chapters with with the Sabbath uh, discussion. Yeah, uh, and, and they were missing the point back there too. Yeah, just totally missing what 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 even is the point of all of that? Just a couple little uh, peculiar little notes about the hand washing stuff. There are about thirty five pages in the Talmud that are devoted just to the discussion of hand washing procedures and the the washing of pots and etc. How to be do thorough. You, apparently you do. Apparently just walking up to the faucet and turning it on and getting some soap and turning it off and well that's that's not enough. They just say that and they just scoff. Yeah. We need a whole manual. You don't on how even to do know this. how to wash your hands, little Gentile foolish Gentiles. <laughs> yeah. Uh the, the, I ran across this story about a Jewish rabbi who had actually been arrested by the Romans and he'd been thrown in prison and he nearly died because each day when they would bring him his daily rations of water, instead of drinking the water, he did, can you guess? Washed his hands. He washed his hands with the water. That's There was almost this ridiculous obsession with keeping that. Uh, so much, to, I mean, here's a guy, he's willing to die to keep his elder-given traditions. How awkward that would be when you're face-to-face with the Lord and you're like, Lord, I, I lived and died by that commandment to wash my hands. I, I did. And he's like, I didn't command that. Yeah. Uh, oh. What page was that on in the Bible? Oh. Uh, it wasn't. Oh, well, that's awkward. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that's what we've got here. Um, and Jesus is, uh, he's not going to, uh, he's, he's not going to mess around here. He's going to get straight to the point as to what he thinks about all this. Verse 6, he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the traditions of men. So Jesus just cuts the chase. You boys are just missing the whole thing here. You've taken God's traditions and you've kind of essentially thrown them on the scrap heap, whether you meant to do it or not, by this bolstering up of your own human traditions that, let's restate again, would have been fine. I mean, is it good to wash your hands? Yeah. Sure. Every mama and grandma in the land would say, wash your hand. That's a good thing to do. Um, but 
they've taken that and and ran wild with it to where even when they would run up against specific commands of God, um, they're just kind of ignoring that because we've got to keep these traditions. We've got to live by these traditions. We're going to die by these traditions. Yeah, this is their focus. It is the focus. Um, th- that, that expression there in verse 7 when Jesus says, in vain do they worship me. That, that word vain for our language, it's probably not even strong enough. Uh, this is the word for useless, pointless. Jesus is saying what you boys are doing, uh, it, 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 it didn't do any good. I mean, as far as in the eyes of God, it's not going to win you any extra points. It's not going to curry you. Any extra favor? You don't get, you know, an extra gold star on your attendance chart in heaven because you know you washed your hands more than the other guys. You've unlocked salvation plus. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't get to go up to another level. Um, it's just, it's just, it's pointless. There's just no other way to say it. And that word vanity is worth highlighting in other capacities as well. It doesn't really serve. Uh, a purpose, and and the reason it doesn't serve a purpose, like you said, and kind of began to extrapolate there uh, from the text is that they've they've taken it and they've dissected it and they've ripped it open and they've pulled out all the stuff that matters. Yeah, and they've just focused on the the nuts and bolts and they left the heart out of it all. Yes, and 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 that's what's made it vain is that it's it's they're so focused on their human regulation that they've totally forgotten who. These commandments are so supposed to be for yes, yes, which is God. That's right. All of these things were designed to be for, for God, and and especially the, when you start talking about the Old Testament uh, things that, that that were implemented as part of the old law. In many ways, you know, we talk sometimes about the shadows yeah. of the Old Testament that, that, that's kind of helping to lead us to the New Testament. The things that would be be revealed there. Uh, one one guy described it as. These things are signposts. Yeah. That these things in the Old Testament are signposts that are designed to, to lead us to Jesus. And when we get to Jesus, which we're, we're here now, um, that doesn't mean that the signposts are irrelevant and we need to trash them necessarily, but we don't need the signpost anymore when we finally got to the destination, which yeah. is to the Lord. And these people want to keep bringing the signpost along with them, and they want to make so much out of the signpost that they've completely missed what all this stuff was pointing to. Yeah, and and that's that's a problem that we can still encounter today and and really what it is is it's they've taken these uh, like you said signposts or uh, I guess signposts that they've written on themselves as well. I mean, mm-hmm. that, you know, um, and they value that so much that they've placed their own little spins and their own traditions and their own uh, again the the, the commandments of men and the traditions of men on the same level if not greater than the commandments of god and and so of course that makes worshiping god vain because that that puts humans and god on the same level yeah yeah you, you've and like you said a second ago you they've stripped the heart out of it and that's one of the things jesus says specifically here i mean you guys are saying and 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 in your actions it looks like you're doing the right things um but the motivation behind it is just way off it's, it's not there. It is lacking severely. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men, and Jesus is now going to, well, let me, let me further that. Let me give you an example of it. So, verse 9, he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, 
then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. So, very clearly, the old law had given commands about you need to honor your mom and your dad. Um, and if you don't do that, you can be put to death. You know, those are very clear commands given by God. And evidently, as Jesus, I think, is pointing out here, that honoring of father and mother it is not just limited to when you're a little kid living under their roof. Evidently, that continues on, you know, even into their older years and even into your adulthood. And that would include things like Paul talks about in Timothy about, you know, uh, taking care of your parents in their old age and in their infirmity. And so everybody would have recognized that. That's what that's what Scripture commanded. But the Pharisees had kind of found this, you know, this this loophole, if you will, uh, this Corbin thing, which just means it's it's the idea of just willing something to the temple. So I've got this money or this this inheritance or these possessions or this bank account, and I'm going to de- say that I'm going to devote that to the temple when I'm dead and gone. And so mom and dad's over here. They need some care. They need maybe some, you know, maybe need a place to live. Maybe need some repairs done on the house. Maybe need some doctor bills paid for. Well, sorry, mom and dad. I can't help you out because I've already promised to give this money to the temple one day. I could take it and give it to you and help you out, but sorry, can't do that uh, because well, Corbin... Yeah, you know, Corbin. Yeah, saying it like it's scripture. Yeah. Like, like, like you know, Corbin. Corbin. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's Corbin. Do, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, and mom and dad. So, so okay, well, yeah, if it's Corbin, well, then, yeah, of course, we don't expect yeah. you to do anything for us. And it's like those, uh, the different little terms that you hear out in the world all the time that it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, inward sign of an outward grace. Like, yeah. like that's in the Bible somewhere. Yeah. Um, and and little little token phrases like that. The rapture. The the rapture. You know, and and you hear that all the time, and it's like, well, that's not even in the Bible. Yeah. And and that's why, I think a, a motto that 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 is actually one of our traditions that we say is we speak where the Bible speaks. Yeah. Um, and I think that's actually a good tradition to have. It is a good tradition to have. <laughs> Having said that, though, th- this is th- the, these things are good reminders for us that we need to be constantly examining our traditions. Because whether it's a church or whether it's us as individual Christians, all of us have different traditions that we do that that, that help to, to expedite um, the things we do in service to God, things that we do in our worship services. And those traditions can be good and fine, but they're always worth us reexamining periodically scrutinizing because if we ever reach a moment where those traditions are finding themselves running up against the wall of a clear command then then that is where we have gone too far and that's when we can know for certain that we are being pharisaical you preached on the leaven of the pharisees this past week and if you ever want to know when you're being pharisaical According to Jesus, that would be one of the ways you could know. Yeah, when you choose to elevate commands and doctrines of men over what God's taught. Yes, yes. Now, having looked at those 13 verses, I do want to point something out. I think probably at this point, what we're inclined to do and we're inclined to say is to say, Way to go, Jesus! Great job! Lay it to those guys. Get after those bad old Pharisees and, you know, just tear away at all their man-made regulations and rituals. And, you know, we'll say, too, like, yeah, get them, Jesus. Get the false teachers out there in the world outside of, not us, them. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll say that even today, still. Well, the interesting thing about this crowd is I don't think that's what everybody thought. I'll go back again and remind us of what was said there in verse 3. That this wasn't just a Pharisee thing. All the Jews 
did this hand washing stuff. Yeah. And this was an accepted, it really was the popular thing to do. I, I think everybody in the crowd that day, they were all fully on board with the washing of the hands, probably even the Corbin thing. These things were accepted. These things were popular. And that's could also be said of many religious practices today that happen in, in, in churches, in the religious world. We could just enumerate a long list. You know, I want us to think for a second about, think about how risque it would be for us to call out. So we're going to do what Jesus did here. And we're going to call out practices and things that are done that are popular and are accepted by the religious world as a whole. So like if we start calling out instrumental music in worship, What's the majority of people going? Is the majority of people going to clap with us and say, "Yes, good job for calling hey, that hey, out"? No hand clapping. Stop. Exactly. <laughs> people, are, but people are going to put yeah. a halt to that. They're going to say, "You can't do that." Yeah. You can't say that. If we start, you know, talking about, you know, the, the folly of when we turn our church meeting places, our places of worship, into like recreation centers and family life centers and gymnasiums and ball fields, uh, and we talk about the folly and the fallacy of that. Uh, that's generally accepted to be a good thing. Yeah. There are people who that's what they look for in religion. And they look there are people who have called this church building before asking, Hey, do y'all have a family life center? <laughs> and when we tell them no, it's like, Oh, I can't believe it. What? <laughs> I mean that's that's what churches do these days. And that's yeah. kind of what's going on here. Washing the hands and all that stuff. Well, that's just what everybody does. Yeah. And for Jesus to come along and to kind of just kind of dress these guys down and what they're doing to tear that apart, um, it it was shocking. Yeah. I think to everybody that day. And it and we have to be willing to say things like this too. Yes. And we yes. have to absolutely. And there's a time and a place, and this was the time and this was the place they came to him. Yes. You know? Oh, yes. Um, That's so, a good point. So they came to him. I mean, it, it, people. You know, you know, people often go to Jesus at this point, and you know, they'll be banging somebody's door down and start, you know, screaming at him or something. But, and, and I don't think that's the best way to go with evangelism. But if they come to you and they've got some questions, and 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 then you answer those questions. Let's be clear know? and direct. And, and yeah, and even even if you do initiate with someone, there's tact that needs to be done here. But Jesus is handling these guys how they need to be handled because these are hard-hearted individuals. Yes. Yes. And so, uh, well, all of that said, it's it's probably going to be no wonder that by the time we get over here to chapter 11, when Jesus finally makes his way to Jerusalem, because he, he's not going to Jerusalem yet. He knows what awaits him when he gets to Jerusalem. But it is no wonder that by the time he does get to Jerusalem, these people, they want him dead. Oh, yeah. And they're ready to kill him. And it's because of this stuff right here that has got them worked up. Now, I said a second ago that I think everybody was probably kind of shocked and probably took a step back. I think that probably is made even clearer when you look at this next section in the first verse of it. Look at verse 14. Then Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, let's just stop right there. Just picture Jesus is going on this pretty harsh rebuke here about the traditions. And slowly but surely all the people are just kind of backing up and right. inching away. And Jesus is, gets done doing this rebuke, and he turns to this crowd and says, Oh, whoa, 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 hey, hey, you. Why don't you all come back over here for a second? I'm not done. i got some more I want to say. And so what does he have to and, say? And you know they're kind of like turning, looking at each other like, <laughs> should we? Just very sheepishly, yeah. okay. Because they are sheep, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, and so what's he say? He says, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. All right, so I think Jesus saw that there could be the possibility that people are going to misunderstand the rebuke that he's just given. Because the, 
what the Pharisees had been saying was all this stuff about you don't wash your hands, well, that defiles you. And it seems like Jesus, it could come across like Jesus is just ripping apart the idea of focusing on externals. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, Jesus is not ripping apart looking at the externals. The externals are important. Right. And Jesus is going to show that here in just a second. But what he's going to show is that the externals are important because the externals emanate from something internal. Right, and that's the more important part. And that's the more important part. Or as he says at different points, the weightier matters. Yes. So let's just look at that, verse 17. So when he entered the house and he left the people, his disciples asked him about this parable. Okay, Jesus, well, what are you talking about? Verse 18, he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Come on, boys. You guys still slow on the draw here? All right, let me explain it to you. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus, here's the parenthetical thought Mark gives again for his readers, thus he declared all foods clean. Now, let's just make a quick note there. If you're a Gentile, and you're reading this for the first time, and you're reading all this stuff up to this point, and there's all these Jewish regulations, probably one of the things that you're thinking about is, uh-oh, if I become a Christian, that means I can't eat certain foods. Right. But Mark, just by giving this little parenthetical phrase, thus he declared all foods clean, this you can imagine a Gentile going, Whew, okay. I literally just pictured that in my head right when you yeah. said that. Yeah, I mean, we still get to eat bologna and, and ham and bacon and all that good stuff, um, and everything's going to be okay. <laughs> it just... I can still eat bologna, so everything's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, everything may not be okay with eating too much bologna or Vienna sausages. Uh, yeah. Verse 20. <laughs> so Jesus said to them, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man. And this is what Jesus is really just wanting to get at. Yeah. It's about the heart. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, Theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, and you could probably tack on a zillion other things there. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And so the Pharisees have been teaching that undefiled or unwashed hands, that's what really defiles you. But Jesus points out what truly defiles a person is when you have a dirty heart, right. a bad heart. Yeah. Um, when your heart is not set on the things that are good, the things that are pure, the things that are right. And in all of this, I think Jesus is affirming that, yes, the externals do matter. But it's only because they really just serve as the evidence of what's going on on the inside, what's cooking in the heart. And, and exactly. that's There's a lot at play when it comes to that. I mean, if I see someone... And all I see is them, you know, pulling the trigger on on a weapon and ending someone's life. I may instantly, my mind might go a million places and I might say, you know, that person's evil. They just defiled themselves. But little do I know, they could be standing between themselves and like their little infant daughter, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, uh, you know, Jesus says later on, or, or not maybe not later on, but uh, in the Gospel of John, he says, judge not by uh, appearance, but with righteous judgment. Right. And I think that this is kind of what he's getting at here is like, yeah, I mean, the, you know, you Pharisees, your hands might be sparkly clean and you, the, the Jewish folk that are washing their hands all the time. And, but there might be a Gentile out here who's got, you know, sores and, and dirt and scars all over his hands. But this guy might be a thousand times more dedicated to God than you are. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you wouldn't know because you're so focused on this hand washing thing. Right. 
And and then just on a personal level, not even thinking about you know judging and looking at others, but just on a personal level, this really ought to just serve as a uh, this is a warning for us to to guard our heart mm-hmm. and what we allow to come into our heart. I'm reminded of that proverb, Proverbs four twenty three, about guard your heart, for from it flow all the issues of life. Yeah. And really, Jesus is teaching here. Um, just reinforces that, uh, that everything we do, whether it's bad or whether it's good, yeah. it's going to come from either a bad heart or from a good heart. And in a way, Christianity kind of tempers our heart and puts a filter on it so that we're not um, – we, we filter out those things that he lists there, the all, all the evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, all that. That, that that we slowly have our consciences the opposite of having a seared conscience. We we soften our hearts toward God yeah. to where we do have free will, but this is just not even an option to us yeah. anymore. Yes. Uh, it's not a living option. It's, it's something we wouldn't even consider. Well, just all of these things really are, are helping to bring into greater clarity the fact that the, the old covenant way of doing things, and, and unfortunately the way that most people viewed the commands and the the things that went along with the Old Testament, that it's not just merely about the, the, the outward actions and manifestations of things. It's not all about the physical. Jesus is trying to show that the Old Testament was intended to, to point the way, and it was intended to be something that is spiritual, something that's focused on the inside. And now Jesus is really kind of making a hard shift to showing that, that, that it is about the heart. And that's where all of this starts and where all of it um, is, is going to show whether we're good fruit or bad fruit in the end. Yeah, and it's not that he's abolishing it. Again, no, it's that he's fulfilling, he's fulfilling it, it and revealing it, yes. like what it was really for all along. Yes. Um, verse 24 now. From there he arose and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. So Jesus is is wanting to retire away for at least a short amount of time. And there could be a number of reasons for that. Uh, Maybe it's because, you know, he's just constantly having these interruptions from the crowd um, that are happening. Maybe it's because the interruptions and all these these, uh, interruptions of the Pharisees and the bad guys... It's really putting a damper on like the the training he's trying to get done with his apostles. So it's like, hey guys, we need to just get away over here for a little bit by ourselves. Maybe he was getting away because he probably recognized that the hostility between him and the religious leaders is starting to get to a feverish pitch. Indeed. And so there's just some self-preservation going on here a little bit um, because he doesn't want the truth squad to turn into a hit squad. Yeah. See what I did there? I love it. There we go. Which is what totally um, does happen, though. It's true. That's, that's right. But it's not time for that yet. And Jesus realizes it's not yet time for that. Uh, it's looming, but he's still got some stuff that needs to be done before that time. Sorry for the spoilers if nobody knows what happens in the story yeah, later. Sorry if you've never read the Bible ever before. Or heard anyone talk about it. Yeah. Um, verse 25. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and she came and fell down at his feet. Now this woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This is where we would probably insert a record screech on the record player. What? 
This woman's got a child afflicted with a demon. She acts, comes to Jesus. She's asking for Jesus to cast the demon out. And Jesus' response in 27 is, let the children be fed first. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yeah. Now, our immediate reaction to that is, that doesn't seem like a very nice thing to say. Yeah. Uh, that seems rude or it just seems tough or maybe for us, maybe it just seems like a puzzling thing to say. Yeah, that's where I'm at on it. I'm kind of like, why did he say this? Well, let's work through that for a second. Number one, I think this is worth remembering always. I want us to remember, right, we read those words and we're going to read into it what we think it means and the way in which it was said. But remember, we don't know the tone of voice in which it was said. Yeah. We don't know the body language that Jesus was demonstrating when he said it. Yeah. Um, we don't know the expression on his face or maybe even the twinkle in his eye when he said this. Yeah. He may have almost kind of said this to this woman knowing the response that she's going to give back. Yeah. And it's kind of a little bit of insider talk a little bit. But I will say I do think that Jesus is kind of pushing her a little bit. He's yeah. testing her. He's testing her faith a little bit. And to her credit, Number one, she's not offended by this, you know, because you would hear this and you would think, oh, he's calling me a dog. Yeah. He's calling me a dog and everybody else who's not like me, they're the children, they're the ones who get fed. But me and my kind, we're the dogs, we don't get fed. She's not offended by that. In fact, she's persistent and she's got a retort ready to go right away, verse 28. But she answered him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table, they eat the children's crumbs. And so what I think we need to take from this yeah. is that Jesus is not being rude. Uh, he's not trying to be condescending. Uh, he's certainly not trying to be mean in any way. I think he's simply just he's wanting to state it, if for no other reason but just for the record, that right now, at this point in time, mm -hmm. his mission is not to go to the Gentiles. Yes, This woman is a Gentile. The text says that specifically. When Jesus sent out the, uh, the, the the apostles in the previous chapter on the limited commission, he told them specifically, don't go into the area of the Gentiles, right? Don't go to Samaria. Uh, it's the limited commission. Right. That's going to happen later on. That will happen in the book of Acts where we're going to take the gospel to them. But right now, my mission is to go to the Jews. That's the people God sent me to go talk to. Uh, that's God's. That's the children in this metaphor yeah. that He uses here. It's the prophecy. It is. It, it actually and it goes all the way back. Really, it almost goes all the way back to the promises that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter twelve, when He said that it is through your offspring, Abraham, the 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 the, the Jewish nation that all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Right. And so th there's going to be the fulfillment of that, and then when that is fulfilled. Then the floodgates are going to be opened up to Gentiles and every other uh, every other kind of person. I think that is the significance of what Jesus is saying here. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and and I tend to think, like I said, I I kind of almost imagine him saying it to her with you know a little bit of a wink and a nod, uh, because what's the very next thing that he does? Well, the very next thing, verse twenty nine, he says to her, "For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter." So I mean, he he actually you know. He did it. Yeah, he carries out her request. She went home, found the child lying in the bed, and the demon was gone. Um, and so nobody needs to – I mean, if you pull that passage out of context and just read it by itself, yeah, I could see how somebody could say, look at this guy. I mean, what a jerk. But if you've been reading and studying Mark up to this point, then you know yeah. that, that can't be what it means. Well, in the in the understanding of what, I, what I'm, I'm piecing together in this passage – if the children in the metaphor that Jesus is using, like you said, is the people of God, and Gentiles, 
the Jews, the Israelites. Yeah, of this time. Yes. Um, the, the God's people, the Jews. And then I think it would be very apt to say that he is testing her faith and her humility yes. and her patience here because she responds in total humility and she's she responds she, – she's just trying to make her request still even saying, you know what, like we may be spiritually not connected to God the way that you are. Like, we may be quote-unquote dogs. She's like, but even the dogs get some scraps too. Exactly, and it's funny. You said humility. I circled the word crumbs there in verse 28 and right up next to it I wrote the word humility. Yeah. Like this woman recognizes – Look, Lord, I know I'm not even deserving of anything. You know, regardless of my background, I don't deserve right. anything from you. I, you call me a dog. I am a dog. If the Lord called me a dog, I'd say Amen. I am a dog. Yeah. Um, he could say anything he wanted about me, to be honest, and I don't know if I'd like what he had to say about me. It'd be true though. Yeah, and and but he chooses not to. He, he chooses to love us. But but in this situation, he does let her know you you are a gentile. Yes. <laughs> And so these crumbs, um, her, her fullness of faith, her persistence, her patience, her humility, what ends up happening is she ends up getting not just the crumbs, she gets more than the crumbs. Yeah. And you think about that, that just think, just draw that out to a bigger scale now. What do we deserve? I mean, we don't even deserve the crumbs off of God's table. No. Not at all. But we get a seat at God's table. We, that's what I was going to say. We get, we get more than the crumbs. When we come to him with this kind of faith and humility and a heart like this woman has, we end up getting to eat royally, you know, yeah. at the dinner table with the king. And contrast that with the Pharisees from earlier who were like, our traditions, our commandments, we're the truth squad, like you said. Yeah. And this woman's just like, even dogs eat crumbs. Yeah. And she's just asking Jesus for just a little bit of mercy. It's such a contrast. Yeah. yeah. And and that's, that's too what I was saying earlier. These Pharisees think they have it all together, but there's Gentiles like this all over. Yeah. And those are the people who obey the gospel later on. Well, uh, let's notice this last uh, section, this last miracle that is performed here. Verse 31. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre, and he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. This is, yet again, he's, Jesus is steering away from Jerusalem. And he is, he's going here once again into Gentile territory. Yep. Um, and uh, that's probably maybe a little known fact about uh, part of the um, ministry of Jesus was during that three years. He did spend some time in Gentile, Gentile territories. Verse 32, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowds privately, that's a little bit different than some of Jesus' other miracles. You know, normally he's done things very publicly. But with these Gentiles, he has done stuff kind of shush, hush, hush. Yeah. Uh, and, and so maybe that is, maybe, maybe there's a, a reason for that. Could um, be. Could be. Then on top of that, he, he puts his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. So there's even some of the procedures here are, again, a little bit different. You know, some of the other miracles, Jesus just says the word and, and stuff is done. But here he's actually, there's some physical components to it. But it I, I don't think we need to read too much into those things and like, well, this means this and that means that. Yeah. Uh, it, this would be one of those good little topical questions to ask the Lord in heaven someday. Hey, well, why'd you stick his, your fingers in his ears and do the tongue thing? And, he might just be like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. On a whim? That's just, that's just what felt right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, I, whatever he says, I'll just be like, all right. Yeah, you're the Lord. Uh, <laughs> then verse 34, looking up to heaven, he sighed and he said to him, 
if if patha, uh, I'm yeah. probably butchering that. That is be opened. Uh, that word there is actually in the Syriac language. Maybe that was the language that those people spoke in. Which, if that's the case, is pretty cool because here's Jesus speaking in tongues. He's bilingual. Bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He can speak any language he wants. He can. He doesn't even need to study this stuff. Uh, verse 35, And the man's ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he was able to speak plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, as is usually the case, the more zealously they proclaimed it. It's just like, <laughs> it's just like if I tell you, don't think about an elephant right now. What are you going to do? You're going to think about an elephant. Especially since I just saw the lion king. Yeah, um, it's just that's just almost human nature, um, and so they proclaimed it all the more zealously, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, "I love this statement. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak." And that's a great statement. He does all things well in, in this case, physically for this man, but spiritually and in every other way, he does all things the best. Absolutely. Can I, before we quit, can I draw our attention to one word that yeah. sticks out to me from this section? It's in verse 34. Okay. When it says, after Jesus did kind of some of these procedural things, fingers in the ear and all that stuff, he looked up to heaven and he sighed. And then he said the words, be opened. Right. Um, that catches my attention because there's... There's only a handful of times where it says that Jesus sighed. And I don't believe this is a sigh of exasperation. Yeah, like, ugh. Yeah, like, uh again. Yeah. Uh, we'll actually see that in the next chapter, in chapter 8 and verse 12, where, like, the Pharisees come demanding a sign, and he's like, ugh. He sighs. It's like, yeah. again, these guys, these boneheads. He's yeah. not doing that with this guy because it's not this guy's fault that he's yeah. deaf or that he you know, can't speak correctly. Uh, and so what is this sigh? I'll I tell you what I believe. Yeah. I believe this sigh is caused by the fact that the, the afflictions that this man is enduring, these maladies of the physical body, this is Jesus just having a moment of recognition that all of this is the result of living in a fallen and broken world. That's interesting that that's the take that you take on it. Because actually, I, I, I agree with you, but I think, too, that it's like, and it might be pained, but I think there's joy in it as well. Like, uh, you know, sometimes you like weep like this painful and happy kind of crying. I think it's almost like that sort of emotion that you feel like when you're just overcome because, you know... Uh, Jesus was about to take all that away and watch that physically happen. Yes. And that must have been so cathartic for him. And that's like a vision of what's to come later when the mission is complete, that all these people are going to be healed of not just their physical infirmities that are a result of sin, but at the very core from all their sins. Yeah. Really, both of those things could work together because it's, saying, it's the yeah. before and the after of of – Sin in this world and the effects that it causes uh, at, at this time, and, and even in our time today, you know, I mean, when disease and pain and suffering happens to us, all of that's the result of, of sin being in this world, and we're living in a fallen world. Yeah. And, and so there is, in, in, on the front side of it, there's this side of, this is, this is not what God wanted. 
Yeah. You know, this was never God's plan. God didn't create the world and everything in it, and this was his plan that, oh, yeah, we're going to make things terrible for folks. No, this is the this is the opposite of what God wanted. And so there's that sigh of sadness. But, yeah, there may also be within that a tinge of a sigh of, you know, relief. And like I'm about to I'm about to release this guy's pain yes. that I'm seeing. I'm going to free him. Yeah. And there's – because, like, you see – like, you know, a mechanic, like when they look at a job, like they look at like a car they're about to work on, they're, they're like, man, this thing's a mess. And they'll go, phew. But they know yeah. that they're, they're about to fix it. Yeah. You know, and that they, and then what do they do? They get to fixing it. They're not like, oh man, I hate this. I hate being a mechanic. Like they love that stuff. Yeah. You know, like a, an artist, they see a blank canvas and they go, right before they, they get started on the painting. And it's the same way. Like, it's like, man, there's this problem, this blank canvas. But I'm going to make it beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's pro- probably kind of what Jesus is feeling. That's one of the most profound emotions a human could ever feel. It is. And, and, he's, and that's God getting to feel that. That's right. And that, that then just doubles back to that great closing statement. He does all things well. He, he's going to come, and Jesus has come, to fix all of that. <clears throat> you know, I, I wonder sometimes if I sigh enough when I look around at the sin-sick world in which we're living in. And all yeah. too often we just kind of, our size more of the exasperation. Like I'm just, I'm sick of, sick of all. Yes. But it ought to be a sigh of uh, maybe some pity, and then and then where we're helping, to where ultimately that can lead to a sigh of relief and joy. And 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 and, and within that too is like a let's get to work. Yes. Like an exhalation of like. All right. Okay. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Yep. Like preparation. All right. Well, with that said, let's. Uh, Let's sign go. Out. Let's sign out. All right. Anything else on chapter seven? I just I feel like I'm forgetting something. I love everybody. All right. Glad we got that in. We'll look forward to talking about chapter eight next week.